Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come into your throne room hearing the angels singing all around. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We praise your holy name this morning. And Father, we come to you with petitions, with the thoughts of those in our community who don't even know you. Lord, we pray that you work with them, that you prick them in their heart, in their soul, to seek your face, to help them to understand that emptiness inside them is because they were made in your image and you call all those you've created to come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for being with us during the deep freeze, the times that we've been able to sit alone and just concentrate on you and your glory. And Father, we know now, as you promised, that there will now be a gentle thaw. Lord, may that be also with our souls. For those that have froze you out, may you bring the thaw and the warmth that brings us closer to you. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray for the church universal and for Dunphy Missionary Church. We pray for the leadership that you have called and gifted. We pray for the staff that you've also called and gifted. We thank you for their service, for helping us to be who we are and supporting this great time of life with you as your family. Father, we pray for the members who are doing life with one another. As we pray for one another, as we reach out to one another with a word of thanks and love and encouragement, as we help one another and bring life, not only to those here, but those around that look upon us. May they look upon us with awe to know that we are your children walking in your glory. Father, we pray for those who are ill. May you bring your healing hand down upon them and touch them right now. We know that if they reach out their hand to you, that they can be healed. And we pray that you do that. And Lord, for our loved ones that we have committed to you and the recent days, we just pray that their soul is there with you and in glory and just worshiping your holy name with your holy angels now. Lord, now as we open up your word, teach us, challenge us, help us to learn more about you and what you call us to be. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
So we're coming up to the end of our sermon series, This is Living, from the book of Philippians. If you would turn your Bible to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, we'll be in chapter 4 today. Today's message title is An Appeal to God's Peace. An Appeal to God's Peace. After today, uh, we will have one more sermon in this series, and next week we will finish up with another part in chapter 4. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, how God provides, how God provides for us, even in our finances. And then we will be moving on to the next sermon series, Jesus in His Own Words. Now today, as we read in Philippians chapter 4, those of you that are using a Pew Bible, it's on page 1,826 and 827. We're going to actually start with verse 4 on page 1827. As I read through this, I want you to look for the promise of God's peace. Okay? This is being written by Paul as an appeal to us to seek God's peace. And what we must do to be able to find God's peace. We're going to find that these instructions are very difficult, you might think, at, at the surface. And in fact, I would say that these instructions are commands. Like when Jesus said, to teach the disciples everything I have commanded you. This is part of that also. Part of God's word with his commands but the cool thing is, these commands are with the promise, the promise of God's peace. Many times God's promises um, come from his commands. The Ten Commandments, for example. Many of us are aware of the Ten Commandments. There's one command with a promise. Do you remember that? The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother is the commandment, and then is followed with the promise so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So today as we read this in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, listen to that. The commands with the promise that God is making to us. Starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace 
will be with you. May God bless the hearers and the doers of his word this morning. So I want to start from this scripture with the promise. The promise of God's peace. This promise comes to us in this scripture as a two-part promise. The first part of the promise is found in verse 7. Given that we live this certain way of these commands that we just read, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds with a peace that passes all understanding. Paul is using a word picture here that connects his readers and should connect us to the Roman colony and a garrison city. Remember when we talked about Epaphroditus a couple weeks ago? I suggested that he may have actually been part of the Roman legion and possibly part of the elite Praetorian Guard. If so, upon his discharge of the army, when he retired, Epaphroditus would have been given land in Philippi, so he could have retired to that Roman colony with the rich farmland. There were several retired Roman soldiers in Philippi and probably in that early church. So when Paul writes this, he uses the word guard to evoke a picture of soldiers guarding the garrison or some other high-valued asset. This promise in verse 7 is that God's peace, like a very special forces unit, God's peace will guard a person's heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He will guard our, our very soul, the, the essence of who we are. When God's peace guards us, we are actively protected. Protected from bad decisions and unhealthy thinking. Surely we are prone to make some bad decisions and think some unhealthy thoughts. But this is why the promise is contingent upon all the things that surround this promise with those commands we'll look at in just a moment. The peace of God used in this verse is not just an inward peace. You know, some people think that they can get an inward peace by a couple drinks of alcohol or a sleeping pill. The peace in this verse goes way beyond that physical feeling to the very tranquility of God. This peace of God is a calm serenity that characterizes God's very nature. God's peace is more than the absence of anxiety or fear. It's the presence of contentment, the presence of a wholeness, the presence of, of a certain well-being. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus when we live this certain way. 
But this promise, like I said, is two parts. It it goes further than that. There's a second part in verse 9, the last part of verse 9. God himself, the God of peace, of contentment, of wholeness, of well-being, will be with you. We will not only have the peace of God which, which passes all understanding, we will also have the God of peace accompanying us. God with us. This is the whole promise. God's peace guarding us and the God of peace walking with us. But what about those demanding instructions, those commands? Let's take a look at them. And I want you to consider a pressing, real-time problem in your own life. What do these commands say to you about that problem so that you can reach the promise of the peace that passes all understanding? Now, before we get into the specific commands, we we should actually go back to the first verse of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So we start out the chapter saying, in this way. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means the entire letter that he is writing. Okay, he didn't take um, this many weeks that we're going over this letter to actually write the letter. All this thought was poured out, and now he's saying, in this way, we must stand firm. So in this way is joy in the church. Remember that the first week? To live Christ. Have a Jesus attitude. Imitate strong Christians like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul himself. Understand the purpose that you are planted for and go after it. In a way, Paul is describing how to stand firm. And there's a paradox here. To stand firm, Paul says, we need to keep moving toward Christ. The Christian life is kind of like riding a bicycle. At least for me, if I don't stay in motion, I'm probably going to fall over unless I put my feet down. Have you ever tried to balance a bicycle Get your feet up on the pedals and don't pedal. It's very difficult. For me, it's not long before I fall over and I'm not standing at all. And that's how it is with our spiritual lives. When we stop pursuing Christ, when we stop going after Him, we lose our balance and we fall. Usually hurting ourselves and also hurting anyone else that's right near us. For us to truly stand firm as Christians, we must keep moving. In fact, it's not really that much different than those who haven't even accepted Christ. They need to keep seeking Christ. Oftentimes people will think that they can can just stand right there on that edge, still having their foot in control of their own life, instead of giving their entire life over to Christ, 
and let him balance them in seeking him. And they will fall over every time. Once they've accepted Christ and start to move closer and closer and closer to him, the movement continues and the balance is there to stand firm on Jesus Christ. With this as our background, we're ready to look now at the commands, starting at verse 4 that we just read. So let's look at verse 4 first. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, rejoice. Really? (laughs) Come on, we're talking life here. I said get a real life situation, a problem in your life. Rejoice? Come on. Does God really know? Does he really know what he's asking us to do? Here we are. Many folks at Dunphy are retired, are at home, unable to get out and be with people that they want to be with, let alone the pandemic. We've had bad weather for weeks. It's lonely. Rejoice? How about those that are home and have a job? They don't even know if they're going to be able to keep their job. They're working uh, amongst frequent interruptions. Many times, we've probably all experienced that we go into the grocery store to buy toilet paper and there's no toilet paper on the shelves. Rejoice? Come on. Some of us are finding it very difficult to make our financial ends meet. Will there be another stimulus check or not? We need to pay the rent. We need to pay the mortgage. Some among us may actually lose their jobs, which means they're going to lose their health insurance. And the Apostle Paul writes in this scripture, prompted by the Holy Spirit, that we need to rejoice. Think about it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this. While he was in prison, While he was quarantined from his family and his friends, probably for a couple years by the time he wrote this. Separated. Waiting to hear the outcome of his trial, which very well is going to be death by beheading. And so he answers that question for us. He says, of course, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it first, the first time I said it, he says, I will say it again, rejoice. So many people hearing this simply brush it aside as unrealistic and unfeasible. When you're dealing with your marriage problems, when you just can't stomach your boss, when your hopes have been dashed yet again, when your children or your grandchildren just are not living the way that you thought you taught them. When you are sick, and you're tired, and in debt, and things just seem to keep going wrong, how can God expect you to rejoice? It's impossible. Yes, absolutely. It's impossible. It's impossible for the people of this world. But we're not to be people of this world, are we? If our hearts, if our minds, if our souls are undergoing a process of renewal as we 
seek to come closer and closer to Jesus for him to be at our side, then yes, we can rejoice. But if our thinking has not changed since we became a follower of Jesus, if we are still haunted by those same fears, the the same anxieties, with the same kind of thoughts that run through our mind, and we also and they also run through the minds of people who do not belong to Jesus, then yes, rejoicing will be unrealistic and it's going to be unfeasible. But if we are Christians being renewed by the spirit of our minds, Ephesians 4.23, or Romans 12.2, if we are Christians being changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, then rejoicing will not only be possible, rejoicing will indeed be occurring in our lives. This is what we've seen throughout this letter of the Philippians. How we live determines how we feel, how we act. Our hearts and our minds are critical to our success in the Christian life. Some things are just impossible from our worldly perspective, but they are possible and they are very real for the Christians, such as rejoicing when there are deep, troubling things going on all around us. When we are renewed and live in Christ Jesus, we can and we will rejoice. I'll say it again, Rejoice. The way we proceed, the way we process our marriage challenges, the bosses that seem unrelenting and other recurring disappointments that keep on coming at us in our life determines how we will react. If we categorize and contextualize information from the worldly perspective, we will only see worldly possibilities. Rejoicing will simply not be possible. During the COVID-19 crisis, many worldly people can only see calamity, can only see loss and death. How do you think that will affect the way that they feel and act? I think we already know, don't we? Feelings of anxiety, sleeplessness, anger. We even see it at the national level accompanied by panic buying and hoarding and arguments. But when we come to Christ, our story gets written into His story. Our life is not one of calamity, loss, and death, but of love, courage, life, and glory. This does not mean that we're not going to have troubles Just read about the thorn in the flesh that Paul went through, the hardships that he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. By walking with Jesus, it it does mean that whatever is happening, whatever is happening all around us, we become a part of his story, being written into a bigger and a better story, God's story. Jesus put it this way, for Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, he said. For my power 
is made perfect in weakness. We are living in the best story ever, by the best author ever, with the best ending ever. We know we have victory in Jesus Christ. The instruction is for us to rejoice always. Seemingly impossible on the surface, but it's doable when we are renewed in our mind and our life with Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 5. The next command comes from verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The English word that we translated from the original Greek language comes out gentleness, but it, it just doesn't really give us the full meaning of the original Greek word here. A prominent Greek lexicon claims that this word is almost untranslatable. The ground this word covers is just too big for any one word of the English language. This gentleness, it carries the idea of a person who does not push to get his or her own way. This gentleness does not allow us to stand on our rights, but rather to help someone else when we are not obligated to do so. There are belligerent people. If you're on social media, you know. You've seen it on social media. They hand out ideas of disrespect, misuse, and irrevocable loss. This is the opposite of gentleness. The gentleness we're called to. I know sometimes we do make a misstep when we are trying to help redirect someone face-to-face or especially when we do it on social media. We begin thinking we must be in control, that we need to be the hero. Instead, this word gentleness reminds us that we are living in God's story. We are reminded that He is in control, and Jesus is the hero. Our scripture lesson continues in verse 5, and it says, The Lord is near. We're reminded of our promise, aren't we? God himself, the God of peace, is with us. We have God's protection, his love for us, and his determination to make everything right and everything good in our lives. We do not need to be in control. That's when we mess up. There need not be anger when things do not go the right way that we think they should. We can be gentle. We can forgo our rights. We can be confident that the Lord will make things right. Let's look at verse 6. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, how often I have failed 
and violated this command. I doubt that I'm the only one. Maybe. Worry, it sections off our mind. Worry, it it shuts us out from God. Worry removes God from our story. The way to deal with worry is to bring ourselves back to God's story. Walk hand in hand with Jesus. His story is about love and restoration. His story is about power and patience. His story is about being Christ, the anointed one, to live Christ. We are invited into the story of Jesus who did not stand on his rights at all. He gave up all his rights on earth and in heaven to go to the cross for us. Jesus, who suffered and died for us, Jesus knew the Father's plan. He knew that his heavenly Father would raise him to life and raise him to the throne that sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Verse 6 is kind of written like a rhythm, something like this, in nothing anxious, but in everything pray. Worry and anxiety has the effect of sectioning us off, a type of social distancing us from God. But prayer connects us, connects us to Him. That's why seek God for the city is so good for us right now. Be reminded each day to pray. Not just for us, but for the city, for the community, for all those around us. In prayer, we bring our requests before God in thanksgiving. We bring God into the center of our life story, which is His rightful place. We align our lives with Jesus, who is ever so near. It is in Jesus that we find victory. Instead of demanding Jesus to do something, we make known our needs to him, and he kindly accepts our burdens. We do life with Jesus. Instead of being anxious, We cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for you. That comes from 1 Peter 5, 7. One of my favorite promise verses that I use frequently. Verse 8, the next command. Excellent and praiseworthy thoughts. The only way to fulfill the commands of scripture of the scripture reading this morning is to leave behind anger and fear and greed. These things that characterize our society and the worldly way of life all around us. Instead, we must, Paul tells us in verse 8, think about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely. What is admirable? Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Where do we find these thoughts? 
we are more likely to find these things in the Bible than we are on social media or on television. If we're spending more time on social media or time watching the television, then we're, we're not spending the time that we need in the Bible. Being with God, just being with God, being with His people, being in prayer. If we don't do those things, then we're at risk for resentment, for pettiness, for worry, for anxiety, the things that we get from the airwaves and the grumpy people around us. We are challenging our lives with things that feed our anger, that nurture our fears, that inspire our greed. We are responsible for what goes into our minds. We need to spend more time in God's word in order to have excellent and praiseworthy thoughts. And then verse 9, the final command. Paul tells us to live in peace. The renewal of our minds does not happen as we sit in our lazy boy thinking. It's impossible to think rightly unless we are also acting accordingly. The Apostle Paul adds this final thing in verse 9 as an appeal to us to live with God's peace. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, he says, or seen in me, put it into practice. Our well-intentioned thoughts will fade into oblivion unless we act on them. Do you remember last week's riddle? Three frogs on the limb, one decides to jump in, still three left on the limb, and the punchline was the first one only decided to jump. We need to do something about it. We need to act and interact with this peace that God is giving us We need to pray right, think right, and act right. That's the key to experiencing the peace of God which passes all understanding. And then we need to live with the God of peace as he's near to us. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for appealing to us about about your peace. We thank you that you give us the promise of peace, a peace that passes all our understanding we can't even fathom. Yet you walk with us as part of that promise. So Lord, help us each day to rejoice always, to be gentle, to not be anxious, and think about all those things that are excellent and praiseworthy in our thoughts, and to live in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.